Today's the second uh, preach in the series of Hebrews, and uh, I was saying in prayer meeting that I really love the way uh, Gary started the preach with the end in sight, because he started in verse somewhere around uh, chapter 11 or 12 or 13, 10, and, uh, and he said to us that, uh, that um, this is what we have to do, and we have to uh, draw close to God. We have to um, uh, build faith to believe in the hope that we have uh, in all the promises that uh, we've been given on our lives, and then we have to provoke one another. We, as we get together and meet with one another, we should uh, be asking the questions. How's it going? How's your spiritual life going? Where are you going? And then, of, of, of course, uh, um, the, the important things is, is community, that we meet together and then, uh, and then be encouragers of each other. And, and that really, for me, is the what we have to do. But why do we have to do the what? And the why answers the question of, of the purpose. What is the purpose? So chapter 1 in Hebrews starts telling us about the purpose of uh, what we do as kingdom livers. And, and uh, Gary, I just pray that the Holy Spirit is on you. I pray that every single word that you preach today is straight from the throne room. I pray that uh, we don't just listen, but we understand and believe yeah. in our hearts what, uh, what you have to, to share with us uh, through Gary, Lord, and may his words be blessed. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Rich. Am I on? There we go. All right. Lots of pop-ups coming. All right, so like Rich has uh, introduced and kind of summarized last week, uh, really encourage you, if you do miss one of the, the preachers, just catch it up online. They're all there, and uh, the team has done an amazing job in doing that. This magnificent slide that my wife uh, did for me um, just kind of gives you the overview <coughs> of what the Hebrews is about and what's going to happen is, uh, is that uh, the, the writer, the author, because we actually don't know who it is, and you can go find out what I said about that last week, um, compares Jesus to a whole bunch of different things, from angels to Moses to the priests to Aaron to a whole bunch of different things, the sacrifices, and he shows the superiority of who Jesus is. And he takes what the promise and the shadow was in the Old Testament and all of those prophetic um, utterances and, and pictures and all shadows, as we call them, um, in the Old Testament. And Jesus is the fulfillment and the reality of all of those things. I'm not going to go through the side, slide. You can get it online. You can ask for it. Um, we, we, we will send it to you, whatever the case might be. Um, it's taken from uh, somebody else, but kind of put into, I've added a whole bunch of things to it because I felt there were a whole bunch of different steps to it. But the point is, it's like this comparison. Think of this. Think that as you are born, you are given this one-speed bicycle. I know uh, Justin's ridden 94.7 on one of those, kind of the postman pet type things, you know. Uh, I think Justin makes a good postman pet. Uh, I, I don't think he's got a black and white cat, though. But the point is, is take a one-speed bicycle and try to ride it. It's, it, it, it's hard. Especially when, you, when you've got the appeals of life and whatever. It's cool when, you, when things are coasting and you're going down the hill. Now, imagine that that's what you've been given, but now Jesus comes, and he gives you a top-end motor vehicle, whatever your thing is, whether it's a Land Rover, whether it's a Mercedes, whether it's a Lamborghini, whatever you think would be the greatest vehicle to take you through on your journey of life, metaphorically. That's what Jesus gives us. And what's happening is, is these Christian Hebrews, these Jewish Christians are 
taking this car, and instead of getting to learn how to drive this vehicle and seeing the magnificence of it, it's even got seat warmers in winter. It's got, uh, um, you know, ABS. It's got uh, uh, aircon. It's got all of these beautiful things attached, and you've got to learn how, to, how this vehicle works. Instead of learning more about Jesus, instead of gaining understanding, as Rich said, instead of understanding the why, they're going back to get onto this one-speed bicycle and driving it around. Where's Paul? So Paul, in the prayer meeting, kind of wanted to add to that picture, and I think he can add to it pretty well. So, Morning, Lifehouse. Well, this mic's hot. Fire the sound guy, which is me. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so this one-speed bicycle is an amazing analogy because you get given your one-speed bicycle. That's your natural abilities. That's your body. That's your mind. That's the things that God gives to the saved and the unsaved. You get a one-speed bicycle. And until the end of life of that one-speed bicycle, you get to ride it. And it doesn't require anything else except your effort. But then God gives you this Land Rover. Let's stick with a Land Rover because we can go anywhere in that. Okay, sorry, a, a Land Cruiser. <laughs> right, sorry, I just redeemed myself. Um, Land Cruiser, thanks Grant. Grant's gonna go take me out the toilet quickly. I can see the, the way he's walking. Yeah, because I'm holding this mic about three meters away and it's not improving. So it'll be the one with the, the meters bouncing up wildly. <laughs> anyway, so this, this off-road vehicle. So Jesus gives you this off-road vehicle that will take you to the nations, that will take you into your preferred future. But we decide, no, no, we're too lazy to go and fill it up with petrol. And we climb back on our one-speed bicycle. We return to our carnal. Instead of going back to our father, getting the petrol card, filling up that land cruiser and going where we were intended to go. So we always have our flesh as a one-speed bicycle to fall back on, but the Lord gives the saved and the called a land cruiser on condition that we return to Jesus frequently to fill it up again. Powerful, eh? We can all go home. I think we've all been encouraged enough to do what we need to do. So now what's going to happen is, if you're going to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1, is the author, and I've got Lee who's going to come up and read it for us, and uh, you're welcome to read it off here or... Um, um, on your, your phone or on my computer, whatever, is that uh, what he's going to do is he's going to bring Jesus a CV. You know, when all of us want to go and we want to describe uh, who we are to, for a job interview or whatever else, well, you want to know what you are. You want to be as impressive as you need to be to get the job. So let's see if Jesus is who he says he is based on what the author is going to say because he's going, actually, this Jesus was not a created being. This Jesus is God, and this Jesus is way above angels. And how can you even compare him to an angel? So let's hear uh, Romans, Hebrews chapter 1. Here we go. Okay, I'm reading from the NIV. So Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he's appointed heir of all things, and through him also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For which... To which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father? Or again, 
I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Thank you so much. She did it way better than I could have. Um, I love the way Lee reads. That's why I asked her to do it. And I know a lengthy bit of scripture that we're going to get through this morning. So put your seatbelts on and let's go. Is I'm going to run through how this whole thing is. Is that number one is you're going to see that it, almost every single one of those verses is an Old Testament scripture that the author is requoting. Now, when they do that, when, you, when a New Testament uh, writer quotes an Old Testament scripture, you've got to go right back to the, that book or that chapter or that context because that's the context with which they are wanting to express it in the current context. Now, I'm, I'm literally doing a, 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 an ozone flyover of chapter one. There is so much more detail. We could spend weeks and weeks on it. But I want to pick out some things and give you a feel for what it is. So number one is he fulfills all the prophetic promises. And you'll see that in Ezekiel, he's portrayed the glory, Ezekiel portrays the glory of God. Jesus reflects it. We see that Isaiah expounds the nature of God. Everything from his holiness to his righteousness to his, the fact that he's merciful, all of those good things. But actually Jesus manifests it here on earth as a man. Jeremiah describes the power of God, but Jesus displays it with his signs and his wonders and his miracles. And we're going to see how he fulfills and brings the shadow of the Old Testament into the reality of what happens now because of what he has done. And he fulfills all of those things. He's going to affirm all of those things and bring them in. It's like, I mean, who, who, uh, who likes meetings on Zoom? Oh my gosh, I'm so tired of that. I, I literally spend a third of my day on Zoom. Because I'm working for MassMart and I'm working with the Walmart um, uh, people in, in the States and we're doing this transformation project, I'm, I'm literally on Zoom from about 12, uh, 1 o'clock all the way up to sometimes on Friday night, believe it or not, I was on Zoom until 8 o'clock at night. It's terrible. Everybody's got their cameras off. You maybe see a face, you maybe see a name, you know, whatever, and you, you kind of start to drift off and... And if somebody asks you a question, you go, oh, sorry, um, they just repeat that? The signal wasn't great? Um, I mean, we've all been there, haven't we? So it's the difference between being on Zoom but sitting at, in a meeting face-to-face, -face, engaging somebody. It's, it's similar to when you, you want something. Maybe you want a new car. Maybe you want a new camera. Maybe you want a new phone or whatever. It's like getting a photograph versus actually having it. It's about somebody's shadow passing over you, which may bring 
a little bit of comfort from the sun in a moment as opposed to getting a hug from somebody. That is the difference between the shadow in the Old Testament versus what Jesus has for us. Secondly, Jesus is way superior than the angel's message. Verse 1, we've covered some of this last week, but I want to have another look at it from a different angle, from the other side of the moon. Is in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets in many times, various ways, but in the last days He has spoken to us by His Son. And so part of this process is that angels get, God gave the message to Moses. The Torah, Deuteronomy 32, I think it is. Yeah, 33, verse 2. That's how they, Moses got the, the message, from the angels. Moses himself says to God, but hold on a second, as much as I've got this message, when we go into the promised land, please don't even send an angel ahead of us. Please, you come with us. An angel's not good enough. We need you and we need your presence. The beautiful thing about all of this is that as much as the angels gave the message to Moses, which was good, not bad, what's way superior is Jesus comes and gives us the message of the gospel of grace, the good news, the news that's too good to be true. And here's the beautiful thing in, in uh, Romans 8 verse 3. It says, for what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and he gave up the sin offering, and he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met. So how is that? Jesus not only brings this amazing message, which is way superior, but he actually is the message, and he has the fulfillment of the message. So imagine that, like I can give a message from somebody, but I'm not giving, necessarily conveying the full heart and, and, and everything and the tone and everything that somebody else wanted to give. So Jesus comes and gives it himself personally. God comes to Project Planet Earth as a man and gives the message to us as humanity, this beautiful gospel by grace, no longer under the law, no longer weakened by the flesh, but Jesus is way superior than the angel's message. Thirdly, he is superior because he is the heir to all things. Now you can see I'm pulling scriptures together, verse 2b and 4. And it says, whom he appointed heir of all things. So he became so much more superior than the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. And so let's have a look at what that's saying, what he's quoting, Psalm verse 2. One of the most beautiful Psalms where he says, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son today. Now, now God's not saying, you'll see later, you are my son today, okay. <laughs> well, you've always been my son. We're going to see why he means that. And I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth, your possession. What a beautiful picture of what Jesus is trying to say to us. And my formatting's gone wrong. Hey, you mess. Anyway, Louise is glitching because of the thing. The point is, is that the New Testament is uses throughout the New Testament, but specifically in Hebrews. If you can get anything, one of the things today, make, make sure you understand this, is that inheritance, reward, crowns are interchangeably used in the, in the New Testament. That we were actually called into Christianity to live a life of obedience, to gain an inheritance at the end. Store for yourselves treasures in heaven. Do these things. So we have salvation. Salvation for me, and my understanding in reading the scripture over the years and years, is that my salvation is secure. I am born of an imperishable seed. The, the Holy Spirit gives as a deposit guarantee in my inheritance. No one will snatch me out of Jesus' hand. But I have an inheritance to be gained, and that is up to me. Will I obey? Will I follow what Jesus got for me? Because I can, in 1 Corinthians 3.15, arrive into heaven as if the flames are up my bottom and come in with nothing. 
We are given the right to fight for the rewards, the inheritance, the crown that are all interchangeably used. But what's God doing here? God the Father is commending Jesus. And he's talking about Abraham who was given a calling and then given a name. His name was Abram. Now he's Abraham, the father of many nations. Jesus was given a name and a calling. We are given a name and a calling. And Jesus, through his obedience, walks into glory because of the obedience. And our God is commending him, saying, here is your inheritance. And we're going to see some of what that looks like. Because we follow Jesus. And not only has he followed us as the first fruit, the prototype, but he turns around and he encourages us to come in to the same inheritance that he has. What's, why am I talking about inheritance right now in the degree to which I am and stopping and spending a bit of time on this one? He said, we're going to see these warnings throughout Hebrews. They're quite hectic. They come across as like, hey, if you don't, you, you, that's it. You, God will throw you away and you're worth nothing. And it's all talking about inheritance, not your salvation. It's not talking about your sonship and your daughtership and your identity in God. It is talking about the inheritance that is to be gained based on what God has prepared. In Ephesians chapter 2, chapter two verse 10, it says that God has prepared good works in advance for us to do. Now go and walk in them. We have a purpose. We have a name. We have got stuff that God has called us to do. When we do that, like Jesus did, we walk in with the inheritances that God intended us to have at the other side of eternity. So fourthly, he is superior because he is creator. He is not a created being. He is not creation. So verse 2c and 3b, it says, And through him also we were made, he made the universe, sustaining all things by the power of his word. What is this talking about? Well, it's talking about Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 where he spoke creation into being. How beautiful is that? And then in, in, one, in John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and, and He was with God in the beginning. Through, through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. He holds everything by the Word of His mouth. If He decides to, not that God's not like that, but imagine getting distracted and stop speaking, and the whole universe just collapses. It's like he's keeping everything in place by the word of his mouth, just sustaining everything. How much more can he now speak into our brokenness? How much more can he come and speak into the chasm of our hearts? How much more can he hover over the deeps of our hearts and the shadows of our hearts and illuminate them and bring us into, uh, into fullness and to live the life of fulfillment that he has for us? The God who created everything. Angels can't do that. Angels can come and give us a pat on the back and you'll see in a moment, but they cannot change stuff. They cannot speak. They cannot create. He is the creator, the one who created all things. Now, oh, there's my, my notes on that. I've already spoken through that. He is superior because he is the son of God, the only begotten one. He's not made. He's not created. He's begotten. How does that work? What is that all talking about? The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I become your father, or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. Well, first of all, there's this Greek word, there you go. It's called katakatia. The X is a ch sound. Where we get our word character. So he is the same image, the same nature, the same character, the same essence of God. None of us are like that. Angels are nowhere near that. If you want to know Jesus, I mean, you want to know the Father God, 
get to know Jesus. They are exactly the same. And that character, the way that it's described in this is like when you had those signet rings in the olden days. And what would happen is you'd have this um, elevated part of the signet ring that when you had the contract or whether you wanted to seal a document, you, you pushed it into the soft wax that was there. And what happened was it embossed and up came the caricature of who you are. I am Gary Bradshaw and I'd have a signet ring that would uh, signify that I'm the one who has imprinted this there. Or a mold of a coin where you, where the, the, you mold this coin, the same thing. It's, that's kind of the picture that God is giving here, the exact representation. What is he quoting? 2 Samuel chapter 7. I'm not going to go into all of it. Go read it for yourself. This will be online. You can go, and go into the depths of study. So again, that's what I'm saying. He's not saying, oh, oh, sure, today you've just become my son. Wow, that was kind of, where did you pop up from? No, he's saying, no, today you actually, because of your obedience, you have walked into a place where you represent me and you represent my heart. You are my son whom I love and I'm well pleased. Jesus hadn't done a thing yet, but now he becomes the representation. It's like the bar mitzvah. It's like when a, man, when a, when a boy becomes a man, he gets put into a place where you now represent the family. You are now old enough to understand, and now you, because of who you are, I am now putting you into a position to represent us. This was originally referred to as Solomon. Solomon reigning in Jerusalem as king. But it also refers to this everlasting kingdom, the one in which Jesus is king, the one in which he is the final king and the perfect king that will come and rule and reign and do what God needs to do. And he doesn't reveal that to angels. He only reveals it to his sons and daughters. Just think of that. We get to, God will reveal his plans. I know the plans I have for you. Plans for a future. Plans to prosper you. Just open up and look and see and listen to what the, the Spirit of God is saying because then he will speak to us. We will know the good works he's prepared in advance for us to do and we will walk in them. Sixthly, Jesus is divine. He's God. He is the God man. The crazy thing is, is that he actually retains his humanity in heaven. When we meet up in heaven one day, on the other side of eternity, he's going to have the scars. He empathizes with us, and I'm going off the topic. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels worship him. Angels should not be worshipped. Look out throughout the Bible. Yes, Isaiah falls on his face. Yes, John, the, the, the disciple, falls on his face in Revelation as though dead because the angels arrived. And so they bring a glory, but they bring God's glory. They are a reflection of God's glory. They are created beings. They don't express their own glory. And in this context is uh, Deuteronomy 32 is, is what he's quoting. And he's quoting Moses who is singing the song because of God's faithfulness despite Israel's unfaithfulness. Israel had been terrible. They haven't looked after what they should have done. And he's calling on the angels to come and worship God. But Jesus is the fulfillment of this. So he's calling the angels to come and worship Jesus. Jesus is way higher than the angels. The angels should be worshiping him. We should be worshiping him because the angels are worshiping him. And Jesus is not an angel. Jesus is the son of God and is the divine nature of God. So, do you know that every single Christian cult starts with reducing the divinity of Jesus? Mormonism. Mormonism says God used to be a man, but because he kind of did the right things and put the right things in place, he became God. And so if you follow the same footsteps of that, like Jesus, you can also become a God. That's what Mormonism is. But Jesus kind of was man, so he wasn't really a God. 
but he became a God through good works. What about Jehovah Witnesses? They don't believe, they believe Jesus is a God, but he's just one of God's created gods. He's not the begotten son, the only begotten son, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who the, holds the universe in the palm of his hand and holds it by the word of, in his mouth. What about Christian scientists? Well, they just think Jesus was this outstanding man and teacher. So what do we do? Well, if we contrast this with, uh, with the angels, verse 7 says, in speaking of the angels, he makes, he, God, Jesus, he makes angel, angel spirits, and then he makes them his servants and flames of fire. So what is he quoting? He's quoting Psalm 104. And what is he trying to say? He's saying angels are not divine. They are created beings. And so in all of this thing, like I said, they don't display God's glory. I mean, they display God's glory. They don't have the glory of themselves. They go into God's chambers, into his throne room, and they receive his glory just like Moses did, and they come out and shine. But they won't continue to shine if they don't go back into God's presence in the same way Paul spoke about the bicycle and, 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 and the motor vehicle. They are merely servants representing God and doing his bidding. They get their form, their rank, and their task by God, by Jesus himself. He is the ultimate general saying, hey, do this, do that, go and, and help out and do what you need to do. And often what that happens is they appear as though wind, as though fire, and often we don't even know that they're around. We don't worship them. Jesus is superior. Why? Because he's the king of the universe. But about the son, of God, but about the son he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness. You have hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. And in verse 13, to which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand, the right hand of God? Imagine sitting, you've been given the place of authority, all authority in heaven and earth, my right hand, the one that goes and does what I, what I need done. And you have made your enemies a footstool for your feet. So this is an interesting text because um, in verse 8 and 9, what it's doing is it's quoting Psalm 45. And what is it saying? It's saying, well, Jesus has been given authority. He's been given the universe. He rules. He's a ruler. The angels don't rule. They are servants. They are servants in God's kingdom. They go around doing his bidding. And they are admirers and are worshipers of Jesus. Verse 13 is talking about, or is quoting Psalm 110. By the way, the most quoted psalm throughout the New Testament and what this is, is it's this perfect priest-king that rules over Jerusalem, obviously represented by David in this particular context. And his enemies are swarming around. Who sometimes feels like that? Like, oh, I can't get through this. And the workload. And, and everybody I spoke to this today was like, she's first, back, first week back at work. And oh my gosh, I can't carry it this pace. All well, had a little bit of a break. But we feel like there's this swarming. But guess what? Jesus is still in charge. And there will be one day when he will bring all of this to culmination. The kingdom has come, but it's an already but not yet dispensation. But there will be a day when he returns as the warrior king with the tattoo of king of kings, lord and lord on, on his thigh, with the sword of the spirit in his hand, or the word of the spirit in his hand, and riding like a warrior king, coming to take what is his. And that'll happen. So, nothing like an angel. Nothing like an angel at all. Number eight, and lastly, he will renew all things. Verse 10, he also says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, the heavens of the work of your, or the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. 
They will wear out like a garment, but you will roll them back like a robe, like a garment, they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. It's an interesting picture, isn't it? Because what the psalmist is doing, and he's quoting Psalm 102, is the psalmist is considering his own death. And he's going, oh my goodness, and when I look around, the world is decaying. You know, when humanity sinned, not only do we, we were meant to live forever. That's why people in the past used to live for hundreds and hundreds of years, because sin just becomes more and more. And yes, I know with technology and stuff, we're helping with DNA and all those kind of things, but we used to live a lot longer. We were supposed to live forever, but we started to decay because of sin. But the world starts to decay. The universe has started to decay too. And so by God pronouncing judgment over sin on this world, everything started to crumble. But what he will do is he will renew it. And that word for change is the, is the word to see that something is renewed into something. So in other words, this whole, and if you read throughout the scriptures, especially in the New Testament, God will renew this world. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, but it will be a renewed one without sin, without death. There will be no more tears. There will be none of that stuff because Jesus, will, we won't even have the sun anymore because Jesus, God himself, will be the sun. And I believe we will live on light. We won't have blood anymore. The light of who God is, the very essence of who he is. We can kind of throw out light when we want to. Anyway, that was just my creative thoughts for a moment. But think of X Factor or America's Got Talent, and you get those people who do those fast changes. Hey, have you seen them? Like there, ladies in a blue dress, and the next thing she's in another dress, and then she's in another dress, and just goes behind a, a sheet, and within seconds, there's another one, and another one, and another one. That's what's going to happen. It's going to be this moment where everything's decaying, and then all of a sudden, what's going to happen is pff, new heaven and new earth. So, my question is, is what are angels? Well, verse 14 tells us, are they not ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? And that's what they do for us. They sustain us. Jesus, in, after he's been tempted by the devil in the wilderness, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the angels come and they sustain him. They, they minister to him. They care for him. They do the same for Elijah. They do the same for us. And I think sometimes we don't even know that they're there, but we're feeling comforted by somebody, something that's in the room. They protect us. They deliver and they rescue us. You look at Genesis 16 with, with Hagar, where she's banished from Abraham and Sarah because they've all had a big fight. God sends his angels to come and to minister and to look after and, and, and deliver her. What about when they're looking for Isaac's wife? The angel is sent to actually take the servant there, etc., etc. Exodus, Revelation. They intercede for us. You know, angels actually pray for us. There's the texts, Revelation, Zechariah. They intercede for us. And lastly, they will minister to us when we die. And the picture of that is the beggar, Lazarus, in Luke 16. Go, the angels carry him. It's going to be in a, no one wants to die. We all want to live forever, but we all know that death and taxes are the two things we know are going to happen this side of uh, the world, this side of eternity. So what's going to happen? When we close our eyes, we're going to have the most peaceful thing because the angels are going to pick us up and take our spirits and present us to Jesus. What a beautiful moment that will be. Yes, sad for those left behind, but a beautiful moment nonetheless that you don't have to, pe to fear. So nothing can compare to Jesus. Certainly angels can't, who are way more uh, amazing that disciple John would fall on his face as though dead and there's these beautiful creatures that God's created, but they don't even come close. And maybe you've never thought of that. Maybe in our day, we, we don't, Gary, but I mean, we, I don't, I've never seen 
I never compared Jesus to an angel. But the thing is, is if we get this wrong, the problem is, is we are people who have idols in our hearts and we start to elevate good things and make them ultimate things above Jesus. And I'm going to get into that in a moment. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. If you go to Genesis 28, Jacob's ladder, it's a weird thing. He's from the way for Bathsheba on his way to Haran. He decides to have a dorse on a rock and uh, he has this dream. He probably had the dream because he was lying on the rock, but nevertheless, he has this dream of this ladder. Now, you think of a ladder going into heaven. I don't know how many of you have, have climbed up a steep ladder. Have any of you done the chain ladder in the Drakensberg? I'm, I don't like heights. It's not fun. Now, imagine climbing a ladder all the way up into heaven. What's the purpose of the story? The purpose of the, or, or the, the dream is, is that it is impossible for you to get to heaven. That yes, there is a ladder between heaven and earth, and what happens is the beautiful thing is Jesus tells us out of John chapter 1, and I'm not going to read it, you can read it up there, is that he is the ladder. He is the ladder that gets us from earth to heaven. And the angels are around there helping and administering and helping us and serving us and serving Jesus and worshiping him and helping us get to what we could never achieve on our own. If any of you have done the Alpha course, I love Nicky Gumbel's example of this. He says, what we think is our standard is maybe Mother Teresa or whoever else you want to, 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 to kind of name, a good moral person is the one that you would try and emulate. Well, their ladder probably went to the roof. I don't know about mine probably, probably gets maybe halfway up the window. I don't know where yours is, maybe higher, maybe lower. But if the standard is a kind of a Mother Teresa, just morality, looking after the poor, caring, all those kind of things, that's what we can only get to, yet the standard Jesus has is the sky. We need somebody to come and substitute us to help us get up that ladder because there is no ways we can climb from here into heaven on a ladder, even if you are Jack in the beanstalk. So, if Jesus is the ladder, we're going to unpack this throughout Hebrews. Each rung, as we step up, we start to feel and you know what the beautiful thing is? The picture I got, it's not even a ladder, it's a conveyor belt. When you get onto that ladder, it just takes you. And you just hold on. As opposed to trying to climb up the ladder. So lastly, to finish off this morning, is there's a warning not to drift away. And you can see the therefore. And you know when there's a therefore, there's a reason why he's about to therefore. Because of all of what he's just said, he says, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, that we to what we've just heard. I want to say to you this morning, please listen to what I've said. Please go and read the text. Please go and ask Holy Spirit to illuminate who Jesus really is and the superiority of who he is. Why? Because otherwise you will drift away. For since the message spoken through the angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape or ignore this unbelievably great salvation? I added the unbelievably this salvation, which is first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to us with signs and wonders and miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. All of that, the testimony, Jesus lived. Go, if some of you think, oh, who was Jesus? Did he really live? Un, Jesus definitely lived. His, his resurrection is documented. Go and read... Um, um, Case for Christ, thank you. Lee Strobel. 
if you've got any issues around whether you think Jesus lived or didn't live or whether his resurrection is true. This picture is of a ship that needs an anchor. Jesus is our anchor. And remember when Dale and I shared um, in, in December and we shared on this thing of hope and Dale had this picture of an anchor and, and we're going to speak through that and we'll come to that text later on in the series. But it's like putting the anchor, but the anchor must go in the front because when the storms of life come, the, the, the storms blow the ship, but you're facing the storm, but you're facing with Jesus at the front. Is Jesus at the front of your boat? Is Jesus in your boat? Is Jesus the anchor to which you can anchor yourself to who he is and what he wants to do in and through your life? Or are you flitting around? Because when we look at this, we, drifting, how do you drift? Well, there's three ways you drift. First of all, complacency. It's the slow, gentle, unforced drifting. I remember being about 12 years old. Uh, my, my dad bought me this uh, yellow styrofoam, styrofoam surfboard. Uh, it looked like, you know, the, guy, the ones that the, obviously nowhere near what the professionals use. And I was out there surfing, and it used to give you those bubbles on your tummy if you didn't put your shirt on. And, but all of a sudden, this, this backwash started to come, and I got washed out. You see, you drift. If you're just standing there, and, and whatever's new culture changes, uh, somebody decides there's something different, and no, this is how things should be, or that how things should be, well, you just get drifted with the winds of life and the winds of culture and the winds of what life is telling us what to do. It's easy to build bad habits, isn't it? But we are called to train. We are, we are called to have discipline, to come into God's presence, as Paul said, to be with Jesus so we can hear what he's saying so that we can move into what he has. What else causes drift? Compromise. That's where you deviate from a set course and you gradually move away from a set position. And that's what I was talking about just now is idolatry. We may not worship angels, but I tell you what, you worship your job, you worship your spouse, you worship your kids, you worship many other things that you can get yourself caught up in because those good things which God has given you become ultimate things. And so through complacency, through compromise, we start to worship things other than God. And instead of being on the course where we're serving and doing what God has called us to do, the good works in advance He prepared for us, we land up doing other stuff. Why? Because part of it is we get distracted, thirdly. We go from one place to another not staying anywhere for very long without purpose is the last thing. And it could be worry or it could be pleasure. And many people that I know are putting themselves into a place of pleasure because they don't want to deal with the shadows of their own heart. And they can start, they can just ignore it and numb it because they don't want to deal with it. And God wants to take us deep. And you know what? It's not easy. Go and read Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. God has had me on a, on a journey where... He goes, Gary, I want you to deal with that. I don't want to deal with that. And you know what? The longer it stays there, the more it gets rooted into who you are. And it's much harder to get out. So I'd rather get it up now, especially you young folk. Don't get old and grumpy like me when, and then God wants to deal with something and it's, it's part of me and it's pulling half my intestines out because it's painful. See, when we are one degree off, one degree, we've got some pilots here. My understanding is, is that if you're one degree off, pilots have got a one in 60. When you travel 60 miles, you are now one mile off your course. You can be just one degree off. Now think about it. After 10 meters, how far are you away? 60 centimeters? And I know miles and whatever, but let's kind of roughly. So maybe half, just over half a meter. After 10 k's, you maybe 600 meters. No, yes. I mean, 
just think, you're not far away. So we, we, we get comforted because we can still kind of see each other. I can still see what God wants for me. But the problem is, is once you go past 600 kilometers, you can't even see where you were on. And to now find your way back is almost impossible. Not impossible, but almost impossible. And very few make it back. So, often distractions, compromise, complacency, they actually take a lot of effort. Especially distractions. They take a whole bunch of time. We get, I mean, I don't know about you, but you get down to pray and all of a sudden you're thinking about other things and, and God wants us to come because the consequence of drifting is neglect. Now, for the last five or six years, we haven't been able to do anything on our house. Keep it up. We just haven't had the finances. And end of last year, we were able to start to do some stuff. And you start to see how much neglect there is because you start with one thing and you go, oh my gosh, now we've made this nice, but this looks even worse now. And you start to see what it should have been versus what, and you haven't kept it up. And, you, and when you start to neglect something, you neglect your car, like Paul said. You don't take it for a service. See what happens. You, every 15,000, which is the normal cars for our age now, every 15,000, you should take your car for a service. If you don't, it's going to break down. You'll lose your, your uh, manufacturer warranty. You'll lose all of those things, and your car will break down because you're not going back and regularly servicing. How's this quote from Blaise Pascal? The only thing that consoles us with our miseries is distraction, yet distraction entertains us and leads us to death. Or Dorothy Sayers says, you can behave as badly as you want, but you cannot escape the consequences. If, if you sleep with your girlfriend outside of covenant marriage and she falls pregnant, now you can try and have an abortion or have an abortion. The fact is there's still a consequence. You've now got a baby that actually you've... Or that baby, that child is now part of your life forever. Not necessarily a bad thing. And God can redeem it because God works all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. But hear what I'm saying. You cannot escape the consequences. And it often ends in despair. And you know what? We lose the rewards and the inheritance that God has for us because we've chosen not to focus on who He is and why He is. Jesus wants us to experience this un this. this unbelievable life. And next week, I'm going to talk about what it means to be human. According to people who've experienced this, when you drift, and you can think of it drifting out to sea, what ultimately will happen? You will drown. And at first, it's scary and it's frightful, but apparently, once you get your first lot of water into your lungs, the experience that is when people have been revived afterwards, they said it was so peaceful. But think about that. If we allow ourselves to drift and we neglect our time with God and who He is and, and allow Him to speak into our lives, after a while, we start to sink and we start and we actually drown and we actually start to not even worry about the sins that are now part of our lives and we're no longer convicted and we just continue to do them. And we land up in places where we should never land up. How do we protect from drifting? Pay attention. That's what it says. In that text, pay attention, look, and listen to Jesus. And then it says, take action. Be intentional. May this year not be one where you go, oh, I'm just going to complacent again and just drift and drift and drift. 
This is a year that I'm not going to compromise who God is and what He's called me to. This is not a year I'm going to get distracted. I'm going to take action. One of the things, Louise and I, we, we re- I realized that, that part of my, when, when things start to go bad, I actually start to treat Louise as God in my life because I go to her, and yes, that's what spouses are for. I lean on her, but I, I make her ultimate instead of going to God as well, or going to God first and her being supportive. And after a while, she doesn't like me very much because I'm just Eeyore. Because she was never meant to fill the place that God fills in my life. So some of the stuff that goes down and I go, okay, God, I'm, I'm struggling or whatever else. It's not to, it's actually to go to him and say, Lord, help me get over this season. Help me not worry. Help me not get distracted. But then God says, okay, Gary, you're watching too much TV. Because after a full day of work, I've got nothing left. I just, I've been in Zoom meetings forever. My brain's fried. And so let me, and I'll, I'll have a bit of a glass of wine with, uh, with supper. No. No more alcohol for a season. No more TV during the week. You know what? That's what we did this week. Uh, despite the busyness, I had a hectic week. I started at 6 o'clock on, on, on Wednesday, and I finished at 9.30 on Wednesday with meetings. That's not to say, oh, well done, Gary, but I didn't feel, with, I didn't feel like I, didn't, I still had stuff left in my well because I didn't get distracted, I didn't compromise, and I wasn't complacent. So it works. So draw close to God. Profess the hope that you have in Christ. Let's meet with each other as much as we can to provoke. I'm provoking you this morning. I'm pushing buttons, I know. I can see people. Some are going, oh, God, you're speaking to me. Some of you are going, yes, Gary, I'm on the same boat as you. I've started that same process. And then we encourage each other. We're all not perfect. It says confess your sins one to another. We're going to be starting up a, a men's accountability groups. We're meeting after the meeting. With, how do we do that? How do us guys who don't talk, who don't share our feelings, how do we get together and share the deepest longings in a trust environment where we feel safe so that we can move forward as, as individuals and as a community into the inheritance that God has for us? This is a great salvation, but it includes an inheritance. Let's not lose out on that. Let's not be like the Israelites who walk around for 40 years and as much as God cared for them, as much as God had the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night that warmed them or kept them cool and their clothes didn't wear out, that wasn't the the life God had for them. They were supposed to be in the promised land with grapes the size of watermelons. We had dinner with Greg and Maria last night and they showed us their baby marrows. There's nothing baby about them. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. But that's the promised land. Let's stand. Such great salvation. Let's just close our eyes for a moment. His eyes are as a flame of fire, and his voice is a sound of many waters, full of love, full of grace, 
full of compassion. Last year we started praying, we're saying we want to hear the sounds of new babies being born. And it's just as if the atmosphere is ripe and ready. If you are here today and you're sitting and you're listening, but something is tugging deep inside of your heart and you're saying, I would love to know this Jesus. I've heard about it and I've been to Sunday school or I've seen something on television and I've tried to appropriate it intellectually, but I've not yet known him. Paul prays this and he says, I pray that you may know him and the power of his resurrection. And if that is you here today, and you want to respond and say, Jesus, I would love to make you my Lord and my Savior, but also my lover and my friend. Do you know what was my salvation prayer after my motorbike accident at school when all my friends went to go and steal all my girlfriends? I'm glad Natalie's teaching the children. Jesus, will you be my friend? Because my friends all are not here now. And this peace came into my heart. The peace that passes all understanding. And if that is you today, I would just love to lead you in a prayer. And this prayer is from Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Today will be the most amazing day in heaven if one person prays this prayer that have never prayed this prayer before because it says all heaven will rejoice. And if that is you, just pray this with me. And I'm going to ask everybody to pray even though you know Jesus as your Savior just to encourage them. And I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to, we're not going to embarrass you or anything. This is just something between you and Jesus, which is so special. This is him encountering you. He leaves the 99 and he finds the one. So if that is you, all I want you to do is let these words just come out of your mouth so that you can hear it with your own ears, so that you're actually confessing it. And darkness will break and light will come and penetrate your heart. Just pray after me. Say, Father God, in the name of Jesus, today, suddenly, something very special is making a lot of sense. More important than anything else, Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, lover of my soul, I turn to you. I receive you now as my Savior. I say with my mouth, Jesus, be my Savior. I believe. You died on the cross. You rose again to give me eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer, I want to say, yes, 
Yes, yes, yes. And if you've prayed that prayer, can we say yes? Hallelujah. Something is happening in heaven. You know, whenever I pray for somebody to receive Jesus, it doesn't matter where it is. It can be in a shabin where the music's blaring. I don't know what happens, but I get so happy. And the one day I ask God, why am I so happy? He says, I'm downloading the house party that is happening in heaven. Your spirit is connected. Somehow it's like, I don't know what is happening. Uh, if, you have if you've prayed that prayer and you've prayed that prayer, please just talk to somebody. Just say, when I received Jesus, I said, go and tell somebody. I was so shy to do it. I didn't want to tell my gangster friends. I went to tell my mom <laughs> privately. But just tell somebody. said, I've received Jesus. What is the next step? God bless you. Bless you, Willem. Um, while... <clears throat> While Willem was praying, I just got a sense that uh, there's some prodigals um, that have drifted away, maybe even half a degree. And uh, I'd just like to say and, and reiterate what Gary uh, has preached about today is once you're saved, you're saved. So there's no condemnation. But I'd like to specifically, and, and Lee came and, and confirmed my uh, thought I was going to do exactly what Lee is going to do now. So Lee... You're more, ele more elegant and eloquent. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that, but I just have a, a testimony myself of being saved as a teenager and then going through some years in my 20s where I started that one degree off, and I just, that trajectory carried on for years until I found myself in a terrible place. And I just want to remind those of us who maybe are in that place now or have been before. It's like that. There's the story of the prodigal son in the Bible and when he turns around and wants to come back to daddy, daddy is standing with arms open wide and not just that, sprints to grab that child in a big bear hug and say welcome home. So I just want to ask everyone to close their eyes right now. And it doesn't matter what you've done or what you've dabbled in or where you've been or even if you still feel kind of okay with God, but you've just slipped in that kind of daily discipline of being in the Word and prayer and engaging with God. It can be that tiny. But can we just close our eyes right now and just say, Lord, I'm coming home. Daddy, I can see you waiting with open arms and I'm running towards you, running to me. Today, that line in the sand. I know that I'm still your child. That's never changed, Lord. I know that. But I've just been doing my own thing and today, Lord, I put my hand back in yours. Lord, can you give me wisdom? Give me creative ways of seeing what I can do and where I can fit in and make adjustments to my schedule to just re-engage with you, Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just prompt our hearts. Give us the discipline and the self-discipline to make those choices to put things in place every day just to engage with you just to realign ourselves with the purpose and the destiny and the joy and the direction that you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, with, often with things that we, we want to start, you've got to start somewhere. So prophetically, why don't we, why don't we do something? You remember, what are the two things we need to do? Is to pay attention and listen. 
so that we know who Jesus really is, gain knowledge. We're all theologians. You know what theology is? Theos is God. Ology is the knowledge thereof. So we should all have the knowledge of Jesus and who he is. And when we listen to what he's saying by the Spirit, then we need to do. So if you feel that God and Jesus and Holy Spirit have spoken to you this morning, just do something and in action. So God, I acknowledge and take a step forward, take a step back, whatever it might be. What's that song? The hokey pokey. Put the one foot in and the one foot out and shake it all about. But just do something of an action. God, I'm listening. And, and all of what's been said by Willem, by Lee, by what I've just said is whatever that might be. Maybe it's, okay, I've never stuck my hand up to worship you. I'm doing that now. Maybe it's come and speak to one of the leaders and, and say, how do I take the next step forward? I love people that say, I want to I take the next step forward. What do I do? We've got so many resources. And as, we, as you know, we're a coffee shop or a group of coffee lovers with a Jesus problem. So anytime is good for coffee. Let's talk about Jesus. So let's use this time as COVID starts to end to for face-to-face time. With Jesus, number one, we didn't need to have an excuse in the first place with COVID, but with each other, all the more as we see the day approaching. Let's finish the morning off by worshiping the one who deserves all the worship and the praise, Jesus.